Good morning. Pray God's blessing on our time here. And most of all, we pray for the Holy Spirit, as he already has shown us this morning why we're here as the children of the king. And I ask, are we those children? Are we children of the king? The king that that, uh, Brother Richard spoke about. I would like to pray before we start. Before I start. Father, we, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you that you care for your children. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will continue to pour out on us this morning. Lord, that you will give utterance. Lord, as I speak, Father, that we will speak only what your word is. That we will speak life because you are the author of life. You're the life giver. Father, I pray that you will lead us here in our minds and in our tongues to glorify you, Lord Jesus, because you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we bless you this morning. We invite the Spirit here in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it's been a long time since I've spoken here. And... uh, there's much to talk about when we look at our master and our king. But I want to, by the way, today is Palm Sunday. And that's kind of what I want to touch on this morning. But what is it, does anybody know what holiday it is to the Jewish people? The Passover. It's the Passover. So we go back to Egypt, and uh, we all know about the plagues in Egypt. We know about the fleas and the frogs, about the blood. We know about how God judged the Egyptians, and we know the last plague that came was the plague that took every firstborn son. And we know that the children of Israel, or the Jews, were commanded to do something. They were supposed to go out, take hyssop, which was one of the most popular weeds of its time, and take blood of a lamb and put it on their doorpost. And when they put that on their doorpost, what happened? The angel of death passed them over. That's a beautiful, can you imagine the angel of death coming with a promise that every firstborn son is going to die. And here you put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost. And when the angel sees that blood, 
it passes over you, over your family. What a glorious thing. Now, in those days, it seemed like most of the Jews got it. If they didn't do it by faith, they did it by sheer obedience. They put blood on the doorpost and the angel of death passed them over. And I want to turn to Zechariah 9 and read one verse there. Zechariah 9 verse 9. And uh, it's a beautiful verse. And we know as the Jews celebrate the Passover, and it's going to lead up to the to Palm Sunday when Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And here Zechariah prophesied it. Does anybody know how, how, um, how many years before Christ entered Jerusalem this was? Take a guess. It was over 500 years before Christ. It's amazing. And what really is amazing to me, the, the, the scriptures Brother Richard quoted in Isaiah 53, again, we see, I think it was over 1,000 years before, the prophecy and the, the extreme accuracy of those prophecies were absolutely amazing. Amazing. And here in Zechariah 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh to thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly and riding on an ass, and upon the colt, the fold of an ass. What a prophecy. What a prophecy. Now I want to turn to Luke. Maybe we should go to. Let's turn to Luke 19, verse 28, and we'll read some scripture there. Luke 19, verse 28, and it says like this, And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending upon Jerusalem. And he came to pass that it was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, and the mount that's called the Mount of Olives. And he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in which you enter, ye shall find a colt. Tied whereon yet never a man sat, loosen him and bring him to me. And if any man ask you, why do you loosen him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord had need of him. And they that were sent on their way and found even as he had said to them. As they were losing the coal, the owner thereof said unto them, why? Are you losing the coat? And they said, The Lord had need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the coat, and they set Jesus thereon. 
And he went, and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he had come nigh, even now, the descendant of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the and some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said to him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. What happened when Jesus was born and the angels came to the shepherds? What did they say? It said salvation has come. This day salvation has come. So here we see Jesus overlooking Jerusalem. And uh, it's not the first time Jesus was overlooking Jerusalem, and it wasn't the last. And he looked at a people that were looking forward to a king. They were celebrating the Passover. What did the Passover represent? It represented, it represented salvation. The Passover represented salvation. The blood of the Lamb represented the blood of Christ. And here he rides into Jerusalem. And the Pharisees say, rebuke them. The ones that are crying out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Rebuke them. Absolutely amazing. If you look again today, right now, at humanity, look at the Jewish people. Look at the state of all humanity. Today, Palm Sunday, is a day when Christian people around the world commemorate the triumphant entry of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming into Jerusalem. How did he come? It was on that remarkable day that Jesus was both praised by his disciples and rejected by the very people he had come to save. And as we read those stories, as we think and, and commemorate the story of Jesus' triumphant entry, let's check our heart, let's look into the depths of our hearts. It says here that he was rejected by the very people he came to save. And it was on that day that Jesus presented him to himself to Israel, to all of Israel, as the promised Messiah and the King. Now, if you can imagine Jesus coming in, riding on a donkey, I don't know how many of you know or knew in those days, the, the Roman Empire was actually over uh, the Jewish lands. They were the leaders of the Jewish lands. And if a, what did they call a general or a, somebody that leads an army, he, uh, 
centurion. Anyway, there, there was the, these big generals that were the leaders of armies, the leaders of the legions. Uh, when they had gone out to conquer uh, new lands or conquer a people that they were sent out to conquer, when they came back and rode into Rome, they came as uh, a conqueror and a ruler. And the same way the kings, when they rode in to, to different cities, they rode in like this. Like when Jesus rode into Jerusalem as the king of kings and as the Messiah, those generals and kings and emperors, the same thing happened when they rode in. People would actually make a, a way for them and throw uh, their clothes and, and stuff on the floor so they rode in in triumphant victory or as the ruler of the nations. And uh, here Jesus makes a very impressive entry into Jerusalem by coming as a king. But yet it says lowly, riding on a donkey. And uh, why did he ride on a donkey? Why did he not ride? Usually you had a stallion or something like that, a horse that, that would look good. But Jesus came riding on a colt that had never been written before. But yet some of the people got it and said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why did he come riding on a donkey? I believe it signified that his kingdom, like the Jews actually thought, he, when their savior would come, he would come to overthrow. And until they were overthrown, um, 40, 70 years later by the Romans, they actually thought there's a Messiah going to come and save them from the Romans and from their enemies here on this earth. And I believe it was a sign or a symbol that my kingdom is not of this world. He came lowly riding on a donkey, yet as the king of kings and lord of lords. And uh, he didn't come riding on a stallion, but he came riding in the new kingdom. Bringing in and ushering a new kingdom. So this, this prophecy of Zechariah was 580 some years before uh, Jesus actually came. And I don't know if you know, and this prophecy was actually prophesied, uh, Jerusalem was in shambles. Did you know that? Jerusalem was had been destroyed um, when uh, Zechariah prophesied this. And yet he prophesies here how the king will come. When all hope was lost, all hope for the Jewish people was gone, here he prophesied a king will come. And he's going to save, he's going to save his people Israel. And again, there's a symbol of a savior, just as the blood is a symbol of, of the blood of Christ, of salvation. Here again, when they were down in the dumps, there's a savior to save humanity, to save the Jewish people. 
And I want to put us into that picture too. When we're down in the dumps, when we're hopeless, there's a savior. There's the blood of Christ. And the, the, the parallel, everything points to Christ here. Everything. It says in here, it, he is just having salvation. He is just having salvation. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, men and women, human beings, have been looking by faith to the day, that great day of his appearing, of a savior, of somebody that will save them from their sins. Ever since that day, right afterward, God promised he's going to send a deliverer. And there's more prophecies here in the, in the Old Testament of Christ come, saving those that were lost, to deliver his people. And it started all the way back in Genesis where human beings were separated from the love of God. Or shouldn't I say from the love of God? But they were separated from the connection that they had in the Garden of Eden. And now people are looking for a way to be appeased with God again. Unless somebody just doesn't care. But if somebody has any kind of a, of a conscience, they look to be appeased with God. And all religions point to that. To appease with their God. You look at, at, uh, at Islam, uh, even some of uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, um, they are all about appeasing. Appeasing. And Christianity is no different, is it? It's not. Christianity is no different. We want to be appeased with God. But I want to say there's so much more in Christianity. Now, all these religions that we see in the world, you can never be at peace with God fully. You never know. You never know if God will smile at you or he's frowning at you. You just don't know. But here we see a king coming that has salvation. It says he having salvation. What does that mean to you, to your heart? How can a Muslim know if he has salvation? It's impossible. He doesn't know until he stands before God in their thinking. And they've done good to please their prophet and their God. And most religions are the exact same way. You don't know. In Hinduism, you don't know if you're good enough to become a cow or a rat or a mouse. You don't know. There's always a question of who you're going to be or what you're going to be. But not in Christianity. Not in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came having salvation. To pay for mine and your debt for our sin. For thousands of years, men have been approaching altars, 
bringing with them blood of animals to cover their sins. Looking ahead, and you can see again, there's some special days right now with the Muslims. I'm not sure what it's called, but um, right now is, uh, is it Ramadan or something like that. Anyway, you can actually see videos of millions of people coming to Mecca and marching around their, uh, what's it called? Kava, marching around the Kava. And did you know they butcher millions and millions of lambs and goats that day the, uh, at Ramadan? It's unbelievable to sacrifice hundreds of thousands of animals get slaughtered. Why? Why? It's the same reason, the same longing that the children of Israel had when they put their blood on the doorpost to pass by them. But they don't know it. They know something in their heart. They know it takes blood sacrifice for the redemption of sin, but they don't get it. The same thing happened with the Jewish people. They knew it took a blood sacrifice. They knew in Scripture there's a promised Messiah that's coming. And they knew only through blood to that sacrifice can our sins be forgiven. And here they missed it. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, they missed it again. I often wonder in myself, how often do we miss our day of visitation? And I'm not just talking as a Christian, as somebody that needs to give their life to the Lord. I'm talking of a working of the Holy Spirit that he wants to do in you and I. How often do we miss our day of visitation when God actually wants to come and visit and penetrate our hearts deeper and more. When he wants to do a work in us or through us, how often do we miss it? Because we do not see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for who he is. Jesus came in authority. He came as one of with authority. And he came as everything was prophesied, how he's going to be accepted. And again, it was prophesied that the stone that the builders rejected will become the chief cornerstone. And as we read to the, to the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, we... Our, our mind goes to the Jewish people always. And uh, it says that his children, his, his people will reject him. The cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. But often our mind will just go to the Jews. Or maybe to the lost world. But how about us? The redeemed of the Lord. How about us? Are we finding ourselves being led by the Spirit of God 
like it says in Romans 8, verse 15 or 14, verse 14. Those that are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Are we led by the Spirit of God? As we sit here this morning, what's in our hearts? What's in us? How is the Lord working in us? And are we making ourselves, our hearts, access to that work? Or are we like the Jewish people that rejected him, the chief cornerstone? We have a choice, brethren, brothers and sisters. We can either receive and let him be king of kings, or we can reject Jesus is the King of Kings, and He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Savior of mankind. He is the Redeemer of souls. He's not just the Redeemer of souls. He didn't just come to save that which was lost, but He came to be the filler of hearts by his, by the power of His Holy Spirit. Scripture says in Romans 6, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me, right? No longer I that live, but Christ in me. So what's coming from us? What water is flowing from us? What spirit is coming out of us? And I'm often challenged, just driving up here this morning, (laughs) when the children didn't behave in the bag. What spirit comes out of us? These are the, the walk of life trials, when we approach a brother or a sister that has maybe hurt us or done us wrong or has come in the way of something that, that, that we think is, uh, needs to go a certain direction, what comes out of us? What's flowing from us? It's a good question. And as we go through the, the coming weeks here with Easter and Good Friday when, when Jesus gave his life, here, even at the Victoria or the, the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, let's meditate on these things. Let's meditate on who we are. These are, uh, did you know Easter is the most celebrated holiday in the world? It's pretty amazing. The Christ- Christianity or the Christians have always, from the beginning, of Christ, they celebrated the Passover, and then the Christians actually turned it into um, the crude Easter. And it's always been celebrated throughout the ages. It is one of the only Christian holidays that has always been celebrated, and it's always been celebrated on the correct time. So many of the holidays are in question. I don't question them because it's, it's something of your heart. But Easter is a beautiful holiday, and nobody can argue against it. And it's a time of proving, it's a time of dying. Um, it's a time when, when a lot of people will take communion, uh, which signifies um, the blood again, signifies death, but it also signifies life. And that's one thing that Jesus came to do with his blood that the animal sacrifice and all these could not do with their blood. They, they signified death and remission of sin 
and, and a cleansing of sin, uh, a covering. Jesus' blood signifies his debt, as we read uh, in um, Corinthians. He signifies his debt, but it doesn't just signify his debt. It says that the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. It signifies his life. It signifies a resurrected life. And without the, signa- the, the symbol of the blood being a resurrected life that we celebrate here at Easter, when he resurrects on Easter Sunday, we, have, we are without hope unless we have that hope in us that he actually came and died and rose again. And it's the same way with us. We die to ourselves. We put on Christ and we rise again. And now the Holy Spirit lives in us. No longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And we have to train our minds and our, and our heart for that. Um, the other day we had a devotion at, uh, at school. And we talked about... Uh, we talked about Romans 6 when it talks about dying and being buried. In Romans 6, I think it's 16 times it, it says uh, the word dying or death is in Romans 6, at least 16 times. And uh, anyway, we talked about how dying to ourselves, and then it talks about living to Christ. Uh, no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the new generated life is life-giving. It gives life. Um, human beings in general are often, we're selfish people. If we like it or not, all of us are selfish people because of our human uh, nature. We're selfish now, God wants to do a work in all of our hearts. And what we talked about is um, the work that God wants to do in us. Uh, the mind that it, it keeps uh, coming out of my, uh, popping out of my head. Um, the soul, the mind, the thinking, the heart and the soul. That's what we talked about. The thinking, the heart, and the soul. They say from your mind to your heart is the furthest 12 inches there is in the world. So it's easy to have something in our mind. And if you look at a new Christian, when they get converted, something changes in their head. So they, they, they experience the Spirit of God. And it's a feeling. And it's something of a cleansing. And they experience it in their, and first of all, it's the opening of the mind. It's the Holy Spirit opening um, your prefrontal lobe and actually coming in. And, And you see the light of the new kingdom. You see the light of salvation. And now um, there's young people here that gave, they just gave their lives to the Lord. Um, you come home, you get back to, to the reality of life, and now all of a sudden, uh, what goes into your mind? What comes out of your mind? Who are you in your head? And the first step to Christianity is reprogramming or having your head reprogrammed, your mind. It says we should put on the mind of Christ. 
And since we're in our flesh, we have a fleshly mind. We think fleshly because we're carnal people. And it's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. Now we as Christians need to change what goes into our eyes and what our mind comes out and into our mind. We need to program ourselves. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit where that can be programmed. And once that is you are working on your mind, it becomes reality in you. And then it becomes your heart. So once the reality is understood, then it can come down and actually come from your heart. And once it's in your heart, you're still struggling in the flesh. And as you train yourself, but it's only through the power that says Christ living in me. It's not something that you can do on yourself. You have to have the Holy Spirit's help living when you. It changes your soul and who you are. And that's the beauty of salvation, a changed soul. Now, all of a sudden, your whole being is transformed into the being of Christ. That's the life of Christ, the blood of the sacrifice of the lamb that we're going to celebrate here at Easter. The life of Christ, making you a new, free, whole man, a child of God. So, how many of you know that the Holy Spirit is right here, right now? The Holy Spirit is right here, right now. The presence of God is here, right now. And as you walk through life, he's, he's close by. He's close by you. He's here to receive those who will come to him in faith. He's here to change those who come to him in faith, who desire it, to actually have a desire in their heart and in their mind to change. He will help you. That's life. That's the life he came to give. He's here to restore. The Holy Spirit is here to restore. To restore broken relationships. To restore broken relationships between you and God, between you and your fellow man, between you and your wife. He's here to restore. He's here to refresh those whose feet and, and whose knees are feeble and are shaking and not sure uh, where everything stands in their life, but he's here to refresh the weary, to give hope to those that have no hope or those that are struggling with who they are in Christ. He's here to refresh you, and he wants to. And what else is he here for? He's here to reward the faithful. Are you a child of God? Are you walking faithfully in what he has called you? You walk faithfully in what the Lord is calling you. You will be rewarded right here with the peace and the joy of the Lord like we have never experienced before. So yes, he's going to reward you here. No, ne never mind in the kingdom to come that should be in us now, but he's going to reward you here. And if you are truly seeking Christ, 
if you are truly hungering after him, he's here to make it come alive. The Holy Spirit is here to make it come alive in us. And again, I can't express enough. The blood of the lamb that was put on the doorpost was a sign of a Passover. That that will pass over the Jewish people. It was also a sign of remission of sin. When Jesus, when, when God told them how to sacrifice, what they need to do later on in Leviticus for for sacrifices and cleansings, it all involved blood. And that blood signified the blood of Christ. And it signified somebody, something has to die for your sins and my sins. But the biggest hope that we have, it signified a new life, a hope. It says if we only have this hope here in this earth, we're of the men most miserable. We have to have hope when Jesus comes, when Jesus returns triumphantly for the last time, riding on a white horse, it says in Revelation. We have to have hope for that. While we're here, sitting right now. And I want to encourage us in that. In the times we are in in this world, We're in very perilous times, if we, if we know it or not, if we want to admit it or not. We're in times where evil abounded like never before. And I know how evil the, the Roman Empire was, and I know how evil all that was. But we have never seen such an extreme push and such an extreme um, force being pushed on humankind that's being pushed right now. And it's all evil. Now, who are we as the children of God? We need to stand as light to this evil world, to bring hope to mankind, to shine as stars, it says in Daniel, to shine as the stars, to bring salvation to the lost. I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters. We are all that God has here in this earth, his church. We are what God has here in this earth. Let's make the best of it. Let's Walk in integrity, in truth, in the power of the Holy Ghost. And be Christ to the world. And bring Christ to the world. Amen. And may God bless you with that. I'm going to close. One of my favorite songs. Once we're done praying. Or something. Maybe you do it before. Is my hope is built on nothing less. And I'd like us to sing it. Um, if you want to sing it now or after testimonies, if somebody wants to share something, I'm going to let Brother Richard decide that. So God bless you. <laughs>